This is Circulating Ideas. I'm Steve Thomas. My guest today is Sarah Lemire. She's the first-year programs coordinator at Texas A&M University and is the co-author of Serving Those Who Served, Librarian's Guide to Working with Veteran and Military Communities. Circulating Ideas is brought to you with support from Mometrics and from listeners just like you. Find out how you can help support the show by going to circulatingideas.com slash support or go to patreon.com slash circideas. With library budgets constantly shrinking, it's getting harder and harder to provide the resources your library patrons want and need. That's why the folks at Mometrics Test Preparation created the Mometrics eLibrary. Through their e-library portal, Mometrics offers study guides and practice questions for over 1,800 different exams covering college entrance, graduate school, nursing, medical, teacher certification, civil service, I'm counting this on my fingers, I'm running out of fingers, and many other careers and fields of study. All fully customizable and at a fraction of the cost of printed books. It's like having an entire library of test prep materials all at your fingertips. So, save space. Save paper and save money with Mometrics eLibrary. To get a free demo and 10% off your first purchase, visit goelibrary.com and let them know you came from Circulating Ideas by using the promo code PODCAST. That's goelibrary.com, promo code PODCAST. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So um, we're going to talk a little bit in a, in a minute about the book that you uh, co-wrote called Serving Those Who Served, but I wanted to get started like I do a lot of times in my interviews and just finding out how you got started um, in librarianship in the first place. What drew you to the field? So I started volunteering in libraries probably around middle school. Um, I had always been, you know, I'm sure it won't surprise anybody, right, librarians as avid readers, but I'd been an avid reader and started volunteering at the public library that I used. And um, then basically as soon as I was legal, which was 15, uh, I started working there as a page, shelving books, um, and worked a little bit at my uh, university library when I was in school and kind of always had the idea that I would potentially go back and be a librarian, but... Yeah, uh, that, that took a little bit longer to actually get through, uh, get around to getting to library school and everything. But I kind of always had it in the back of my mind that I would want to go back and be a librarian. Yeah, because I saw you had gotten your, um, you got your master's in English first and then went back and got your library degree. I did. Um, when I got out of the Army, um, I had to spend a, a couple of years in, in Utah where a uh, dual military family, or we, we were, we were at the time. And uh, so... They don't have um, any library school programs in, in uh, Utah, so I, okay. I did my master's in English there while I was uh, waiting out a deployment, um, and then after that went back for my library degree. Um, I noticed that you were you were a, you were a, um, a linguist, for, uh, an Arab linguist in the army. Did you have a background in that, or was that something that they trained you on, or what, what, what was your interest in getting into that? I know you got your English degree, so I'm sure language is kind of something you're interested in. But what what made you get interested in that in particular? Uh, so I was uh, I was a Russian major in college, and actually kind of was looking at the army as a way to 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 be a Russian linguist. 
um, and, and to work in, in kind of translation in that area. Mm-hmm. And at the time, they said, well, we don't really need any more Russian linguists. What we need are Arabic linguists or Korean linguists. You can have your pick. <laughs> um, and so I picked Arabic, which turned out to be fortuitous as I went to Iraq and not Korea. Um, and, uh, and yeah, they, they train you. So they okay. send you to, I went to Arabic school for about a year and a half. Um, and that was, that was how I learned, uh, at least enough rudimentary Arabic to kind of fudge <laughs> my way through. <laughs> yeah. My, my father-in-law was deployed to Ye- Ye- Yemen for about a year, um, about 20, probably 30 years ago now, whatever. But yeah, they, you, you got to get trained up on the local languages and things but yeah but that, that 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 sounds absolutely that sounds really interesting though to actually to, to do that to do that as part of your job um did you is there anything before we kind of get into um your work after you got out of library school is there anything do you feel like that you experienced in the army that kind of prepped you for library work is there anything like in the mindset that has helped you in your current job so my my kind of umbrella area that I worked in was military intelligence, which is really a lot about providing information to people at a point of need. Um, and that's, that's, that's what we do in libraries. Yeah. I was going to uh, say that sounds familiar. So. Context. <laughs> right. It does. Um, so it's, it's not really as far of a, of a leap as it, as it sometimes seems on the surface that really at the core, it's, it's a lot of the same, it's the same ethos. It's the same responsibility. It's just a, a very different context. Okay, well, before, again, before we get into um, the book, which will be the kind of the bulk of what we're going to talk about, I want to talk a little bit about your current position as the first year experience and outreach librarian at um, Texas A&M at College Station. Um, can you talk about what you kind of do on an everyday basis um, f- as part of that position? Sure. So in my in my role, I, I'm responsible for kind of coordinating first year programs uh, at Texas A&M and, and the library side of things. Uh, Texas A&M is a very large institution. We have over 60,000 students on the College Station campus um, and over 12,000 first-year students. So I coordinate our first-year outreach and instruction efforts. Um, we do a ton of outreach, so we we, we try to, to get to see um, first-year students uh, generally multiple times over the course of their summer coming into their first year and then throughout the first year. So, you know, lighthearted things, um, activities. We do a lot of resource tables and presentations and stuff like that. And then we do uh, a lot of instruction primarily, as with most institutions, um, with our English department. Mm -hmm. So I coordinate our our involvement in first-year composition and business writing and intro to literature. Um, And I work a lot with our first-year learning communities where, you know, these are these you know, groups of first-year students who are, you know, in this co-curricular fashion learning about right, what it is to be a, a first-year college student and kind of learning some success strategies. So I, I'm responsible for kind of keeping all of those threads kind of woven together and, and trying to keep everything, you know, uh, connected and intentional. Right, yeah, because college is a new experience for, for a lot of kids that it's 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 in some ways an extension of high school but it's a completely different world in other ways and so it's nice that colleges and universities have realized that and have created a lot of positions like yours that that's your whole job is to help them make that transition and then get to get them through their first couple of years and stuff so absolutely it's it's actually quite a quite a big job here um you know given, given the scope and scale and um you know i often wish there were two or three of me because it's, it's <laughs> There are there are a lot of us, uh, a lot a lot of a lot of first year students and 
and, and there's a lot of a lot of work in this area that colleges are doing. So I think I think many libraries have have kind of gone in that direction of saying this is this is its own thing, and and we need to get somebody in charge of this. Right. And um, I did read an article that you had co-written about using um, augmented reality in library tours. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and, and if you guys are still doing that, how that's evolved? Sure. Uh, so that project came out of a request from our English department. Uh, they wanted to, in addition to, we do a standard, you know, one shot for most of our first year composition courses. Um, they wanted to add in a library scavenger hunt. And we said, hmm, um, I, I'm not sure how we feel about having, you know, th thousands of first year students trying to do a scavenger hunt in the library like the first week of classes and how we'll be able to handle that on a staffing basis. So we, we worked with them and we kind of brainstormed some ideas and we came up with this idea of kind of a virtual tour, which I don't think is uncommon. Um, but our, our kind of our, um, educational technology folks went and explored and found this uh, free app that we could use to create an augmented reality tour. And so English was all on board with this. It, you know, it, it did what they wanted them to do, which was get students into the library. They wanted them to uh, be able to find a book. They wanted them to know where to check out a book. They wanted them to know um, where the study rooms were, things like that. Uh, but we could do this without them having to interact with our service points um, in a physical way. So we weren't overwhelming our service desks with people who, you know, needed to, to find a specific answer or something for a scavenger hunt. Um, so we constructed the, the uh, tour in this, in this app, uh, it's called Gamer, and, um, and we, we launched it, oh gosh, it's got to be maybe four semesters ago now, maybe even longer. Um, and we've been doing it ever since. So we, we just update it. We update every semester. We updated for the spring 2019 semester just last week, um, made any, any tweaks that we needed to, and we, we launch it. And so the students, we see them coming through with their phones, um, you know, and scanning different points in the library. They just scan um, like room, no room numbers and things like that as, our, as their stops. Um, so we see them coming through and they seem to be having a good time. We get good <laughs> feedback from them. Um, but it, it works really well as a way to get them in the door uh, on a really high volume basis without without really overtaxing our service desks, which are already busy trying to to handle that first rush of classes starting. So we've and, been really happy with that project. And um, I, I, I'm sure you don't keep identifiable information, but do you get some some, some sense of how often it's being used by just kind of random? Uh, not identifiable information, like how many times the servers are getting hit. I mean, do you know that it's getting used a lot besides that anecdotal seeing um, the students walking around doing it? So we do get some analytics um, back from the app um, that they've been very responsive with us. We, we contact them at the end of the semester and they send us their, their analytics, which show us you know, how often the, each individual tour um, has been hmm. accessed mm -hmm. and then um, the comments. So students get to rate okay. the rate the tour at the end as part of as part of the app, and they've been very willing to send us that feedback. Um, and we've made changes based on based on that feedback. The first year we learned that students really disliked zigzagging around the library. They really want to go from you know one place to the next logical place, right. um, which of course makes sense. Um, so, so we we made some tweaks to the layout um, based on that kind of feedback, and and that's been very successful. 
Yeah, I think that's a great use of AR technology and for any kind of like self-guided tour thing like that or in the museums or things like that, something that because especially young people, but now almost everybody has a phone with them all the time anyway. So you might as well put that to use. So. Absolutely. We, we had some iPads that we put on uh, on course reserves because uh, we weren't sure if they would want to download an app and use it on their own phones. Right. Um, and they, we don't want them to have to um, right. or to assume that everyone has a device. And those have hardly ever gotten chalked out. They, they just really have preferred to do it on their own phones. And I, presu- I presume it's iOS and Android. Yes. Yes, it is. So that you... was one of the, as we were looking at apps, it's like we, we want to make sure that we, we hit as broad of a range as we can. So those poor people with Windows phones. Oh, well. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> those <Yeah>. four people <laughs> have a Windows phone. So I want to talk about... Um, the book that you guys that you guys wrote. So you wrote it with um, Kristen Mulvihill. Um, how did you um, hook up with her as a co-author, and why did you guys want to write this book in the first place? So the book was initially um, a sole author project that Kristen was working on, um, and I got brought into the project actually after an ALA conference. Um, I had been to a session about. Uh, about veterans and libraries and had asked a question and I, uh, I believe her her publisher contact was in the room and she contacted me afterwards and said I think that that you two Kristen and I should talk huh. um, and so we did and um, really kind of realized that uh, Kristen is in public libraries and I'm in academic libraries we're both uh, army veterans and that we had both a lot in common but also enough of a different lens that we we could complement each other and bring something different to the table. Um, and at that point, we we decided to kind of restructure the book so that we could we could talk about how some of those issues are different in different types of libraries um, and how different librarians may interact differently with the veteran populations. Right. Um, and that's 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 kind of where it went from there. Um, but it, it it did kind of it, it was kind of a serendipitous moment at a at an ALA conference that that led to that that project being reshaped. Well there there's people's encouragement to actually speak up and ask questions when you're in sessions because you might <laughs> get a book deal out of it. Isn't that the truth? I, I mean I was I was kind of surprised afterward when um you know when they they reached out but it was you know I was I was thrilled. It was, you know, kind of a dream project for me because it's you know, it's one of my one of my pet areas to to work in. So, um, getting getting the chance to kind of jump onto an already kind of approved project and, and get started right away was really beneficial for me. Right. Um, so, we'll get into the library point of view there, but part of the book that you do um, start with is just to give people, especially people who are not from who are not veterans or who are not from a military family, just the idea of um, what um, issues veterans are facing as they come back or active military communities and things like that as well. Can you talk a little bit about some of the unique challenges that veterans face when they're returning to civilian life, especially those things maybe that libraries can help address? Absolutely. Um, One of the things that we talk about quite a bit in the book is these kind of moments of transition and a big one for people in the military is this transition out of the military. Um, 
for, I, I would certainly not say any of this is true of every single service member, um, but for a lot of service members, um, the the military is one of your if one of your first jobs um, out right. of high school, if not right. the right. first job, and it's it, it's a very structured environment in many ways. Um, you know, the military they assign you your housing, they assign you your physician, they assign you to the dining facility. You know, you you know where you have to go for certain things, and you're trained in this very specific structure. Um, and then when you leave the military, that structure is suddenly gone. And not only that, but you're often far away from family because the military moves you away. Um, so you may not be really close to that support structure. Um, so you might be having to find a doctor for the first time. You might be having to find a dentist for the first time. You might be having to find a job right, with a, with a resume for the very first time. Um, these kind of things can be harder than it sometimes seems because, you know, someone might be, you know, I was 20, 27 when I got out of the military and, you know, trying to find a full-time permanent position for the first time in my life um, outside of the military, I didn't really know. And the military, they, they do have a training to try to make sure everybody gets out and has, you know, isn't just thrown back into the civilian uh, civilian world, but, but has some sort of transition skills and such. But everything is so, at least when I went through that, um, you know, they're trying to support everybody, um, regardless right, of what right. field you're going into. And we know that a resume for librarianship may be very different than a resume to be an engineer or a resume to, you know, uh, work in a grocery store. Um, so you end up with something that's very kind of stripped down and generic to try to make it useful for everybody. And I had no idea that what I was what I was submitting for jobs was not actually super useful um, for, for that particular context. Mm -hmm. and it can be really different, difficult to translate military experience, um, especially because there's often things that you can't really talk about in depth. Right. Um, so it, it it's hard to sell. It was hard for me, and we talked earlier about how working as a an Arabic linguist is is actually not that far away from working in libraries. Um, but it was very difficult for me to to sell that um, when I got out and started thinking, hey, I, I want to work in libraries again. Um, these these are kind of pain points in that transition period for you know for veterans and and. I think a lot of those are areas that, that libraries can help with. Um, there are a number of libraries who have tried um, like resume workshops for, for veterans. Um, these kind of applying for veterans benefits can be very challenging. Um, California has really led the charge there with their um, uh, Veterans Connect at the Library program where they have um, at public libraries, they have um, the California um, Department of Veterans Affairs, CalVet, um, they have trained volunteers helping people figure out how to apply for benefits or what benefits they might be able, might be eligible to op to apply for. Mm -hmm. um, libraries, I think, can play a big role in these in these areas, but they need to know that this needs exists in their community and how to help with it. Yeah, and I think a lot of times the smaller the community is, the more um, veterans need that help because, like we we talked before, you know, I mean, you're in a college town, I'm in 
out just outside Atlanta. There's you know veter- there's VA hospitals here. There's there's lots of resources in a big city in a big area like that. But if you're like in a small town somewhere, you might have to drive three hours to get to the <laughs> the closest VA clinic or the closest um, station where you can actually get some help. So the library can be a much bigger assistance in those kind of things where there's not a local like uh, government provided resource besides libraries. Obviously, we're a government provided resource too, but. Absolutely. Um, you know, there, the, the number of resources available for, for veterans in any given community can, can vary pretty widely. Um, but I would say even in those areas where you do have a lot of resources, sometimes you'll have those folks who are kind of marginalized from those resources. They've been turned down once, and so they, right. they don't want to go back, or they had a bad experience, and they don't necessarily want to go that direct, that direct route. So um, I think it's a need in, you know, in, in all library communities to be, to be aware of, of their veterans and, and kind of take that pulse of what, is, what are the needs and how we could help with them. Um, but certainly your, your areas where you are a little bit more uh, resource poor um, in, in the veteran, veteran realm, um, it's certainly something that they may need a little additional assistance getting, connect, getting connected. And one thing that I, I kind of, I guess, knew in the back of my head but never really put words to until – it was just a small section in the, in the first part of your book, but the, the issue of intersectionality, that we don't want to just say, oh, you're a veteran, so therefore you need this and this and this and this. It's like that's a part of someone's identity or being an active service member is part of someone's identity, but there are other issues around it. So as you've said some, several times already, and we are, I'm sure we'll continue to say throughout this interview um, – this applies sort of broadly to maybe veterans, but there's always going to be exceptions and there's always going to be people who are, because every individual person's a different person. <laughs> Absolutely. And everybody has different relationships or different, different feelings about their time in the military. Um, everyone has different experiences and um, different needs. And so, yeah, realizing that the veteran community is not a monolith and that, um, you know, People have the right to say, I don't want to deal with, you know, deal with veterans benefits, um, that I'm looking for alternate solutions, um, or that, um, you know, they don't want to attend, right, veteran programming, even though they, they served. There are certain misconceptions that librarians have when dealing with veterans or military communities. Can you talk a little bit about some of those misconceptions? Sure. Uh, there are lots of misconceptions about the military. Um, a couple that kind of pop into my head immediately um, one is actually one that I hear fairly commonly um, in kind of the library realm, which is that you can identify who veterans are. Um, I've had librarians tell me uh, at conferences and such that they know who the veterans are in their community because they talk to them, um, which is great, right? And they should be, right, feeling like they know who their communities are and that they, um, they're building that relationship. Right. But it's it's actually hard to know who all the veterans are in your community. I find out in my actually my my own library. Oh, I didn't I didn't know that so and so had had served in the military. Um, that still happens to me, and I've been here for four years. Um, that veterans are not necessarily always the folks that you can you can spot. Some veterans are fairly easy to identify. They'll tell you that they're a veteran. Um, they may have those military tattoos. They may carry. Um, like a military backpack or wear a camouflage jacket or something that, that is kind of a visual indicator. Um, but that's, that's actually going to be a fairly small subset of your, 
of your veteran population. There are going to be a lot of veterans who, who don't tell you that they're a veteran, maybe because they don't want to or um, they might not perceive themselves in that way. They may not feel like they are truly a veteran for whatever reason, um, which is actually fairly common. Uh, this actually happens to my my husband and I um, when we go to like veterans activities and such. Um, we were a dual military uh, couple uh, at the time, and um, he still looks the part. He has the you know the short military haircut and such, and uh, people will you know thank him for his service or you know be like oh you know you're the veteran come on in, um, and and my husband always has to point at me and say like you know, she she served too, um, and people are surprised. Um, right. Women veterans, you know, once you take your hair out of that military regulation bun, you, you blend right in generally fairly quickly. Um, so there, there are populations and also just individuals who um, you're not necessarily likely to know that they're a veteran um, right from the get-go. And it's important to be aware of that and to make sure that, right, if your library is having programming for veterans or something, that you're not, right, challenging folks because they they don't meet your kind of mental picture of it. Um, I don't think people would necessarily do that intentionally, but it does happen on an unintentional basis. Um, and just, just be aware that that, that that population is probably bigger than, than you think it could be. Uh, another misconception is often that um, veterans can be, like there's this perception that veterans are, are going to be loose cannons, that they're going to be dangerous. That, right. And, um, you know, that that's, there, there can be that kind of lingering stigma to, to having served. It's kind of a double-edged sword there that um, people are willing to thank you for your service, but then they also can think like that you're a little bit um, potentially violent. Um, and that's just, it's not, it's not necessarily true. Um, you know, veterans, they, they do suffer from PTSD at a higher rate, right? They have often been through combat, um, particularly these recent generations again. Um, as well as you know your your like Vietnam era veterans, but most veterans are are going to be, you know, perf perfectly calm. They're they're just going to be like everybody else in the library. They just want to use library services just like everybody else. Yeah, they they made one of these be coming in to look at their Facebook like a lot of other people are <laughs> coming in to look at their Facebook. <laughs> Isn't that the truth, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, and we're you know that veterans are not always looking for. You know your hardcore military collections, or you know your war movies and such. That you know, veteran programming doesn't always have to be war-related or and, and such. That you know, it you know, we're people too, just like right. everybody else. And, and so, yeah, not not stereotyping is important. Right, veterans. You don't have to just put out. Oh, they're coming in here. Get out the Tom Clancy books because here come the veterans. I mean, it's like people want to read romance novels and science fiction novels and all kinds of things and nonfiction about other things. So it's not. It's not just absolutely. Yeah. Again, this this goes back to that intersectionality again. That's like, that's not your sole thing. Is just veteran. <laughs> right. There there are multiple facets to your identity, and for some people, it's a more important facet than others. And um, another thing you, you kind of brought up, and I think is something not just in libraries, but kind of in the civilian population in general, is am I supposed to thank them for their service? Do I, am I going to be offended if I don't thank them for their service? How do you, what's your um, advice for people on that issue? You guys address that in the book. So. Uh, I, I, I always feel right from the, 
you know, the receiving side that being thanked for my service is always a little bit awkward. I'm never offended by it, right? I'm not, if, if someone feels like they want to, like that, that's something that they are feeling and they want to express it, then I think that's fine. I don't think people should feel obligated to, to thank somebody for their service. Um, if, if you see somebody who is, you know, you're talking to somebody who you find out was in the military um, and, and you feel like it's authentic and, and genuine to say thank you for your service, then go for it. If you want to build that connection and that doesn't feel authentic to you to say thank you for your service, you know, just sometimes just saying like, you know, tell you know, how, how was that? Or, you know, how did you, how did you like being in the military? Or, um, you know, where did you serve? Or, you know, where were you stationed? Um, you know, when, when military folks talk to each other, those tend to be those kind of, you know, oh, well, you know, which branch were you in? Where, where were you stationed? Those tend to be those kind of, you know, getting to know you opener questions more right. so than, right, a mutual thanking for service. So um, it can be a little bit of an awkward awkward things to, to have that thank you for your service, but it's not offensive. It's not, it's not hurtful. It's not damaging. It's just sometimes a little bit like, oh, I, you know, why, why are they thinking me? I was just doing my job, you know, and, and that's kind of the feeling that veterans um, often will express is that, you know, they feel a little bit awkward being thanks, but it, it's a nice, it's a nice gesture. Um, and then, so a, a lot of the rest of the book, then you guys talk about um, the various ways that different types of libraries can serve um, veterans and military communities well. Um, so I kind of wanted to go through it briefly, and you can just talk a little bit about each type of what, um, how libraries can be of service. And, and public libraries, which is where I work, so I kind of personally have a little bit of experience that. We did a couple of veterans programmings at my library. But um, what do you see as the big issue that public libraries can help with? Because one thing is, like, um, I know we, we try to do it where we're making connections with people so we can get veterans together um, just to have those kind of conversations that you were talking about before of just making those, you know, where did you serve? Just having a conversation group kind of together. But then we've also done them where you have that group and then there's a person from, like, the VA hospital there who will answer questions and direct you to the right places if they want to, but they, they'll also just be part of the, because he, he's a vet too, and he'll just be part of the conversation if that's what you want from him, but he's there as a resource as well. So w what else do you see um, the public library's role um, in serving veterans and military communities? So that kind of programming that you're talking about is fantastic, right? That, that sense of camaraderie is often really important and something that, that veterans can miss once they leave the military, right? Being able to to talk to other people who have been through the same thing. So public libraries, I think in particular, could play a really important role in bringing veterans together and kind of building that sense of, of support and camaraderie and, you know, connecting to VA resources is, you know, an added bonus. So that, that I, I think is a really fantastic, um, you know, program and, and something that, um, I, you know, I, I wish more libraries were, were getting on board with. Um, other ideas kind of for programming that, that can be useful. Um, if you are near a military base or you just have a number of people who are separating, those kind of resume review um, workshops and such can be, can be useful. Um, programming outside of simply Veterans Day um, can be useful. Often, you know, things get kind of pigeonholed in that November timeframe and that's, that's Veterans Month and just like with with every other community, you know, you don't, it's great to have that time where, you know, you feel like you're getting a little bit of that attention, but um, pushing outside of that time frame is, is often 
helpful too to making sure that they're feeling like they're recognized and and, and valued year round. Um, programs that build, build camaraderie, programs that help with that transition pro, um, moment. If you are near a military installation, um, programs that help with um, families that are deployed can often be very helpful. Um, that's a really difficult time and, and often uh, the spouses and children are looking for um, distractions and also ways to um, kind of keep the time going. Um, so things like that can can be really helpful as well. And and you also mentioned in the book of talking about thinking, um, keeping veterans in mind when you're doing your collection development as well, making have having material available that specifically addresses their needs. Because because there are, I know we've got some in my library. There are books that specifically address transitioning to civilian life in very specific ways of, like you said, resumes and even just applying for loans. Because there are different kinds of loans you can get as as veterans and things like that. So. Oh yeah, veterans benefits are incredibly complex and they change constantly and misinformation is, is rampant on, mm-hmm. on, on military benefits and our veterans benefits. So um, materials to, to support veterans who are trying to kind of untangle that, that mess, um, you know, resources available, partnering with local veterans organizations that help people with um, you know, applications for for um, benefits, um, for appealing uh, denied benefits, things like that. There are a number of veterans uh, service organizations um, in virtually any area that that may be able to um, to help and and partner on programming and in particularly in that area, but also in other areas. Um, not reinventing the wheel, but um, kind of building on and, and connecting existing um, resources as something that that libraries can can do and I think can do really well um, you know and, and helping helping those organizations connect with a new audience but also help move outside of the context of a specific organization and look at the veteran as a whole person that needs support right and, and, and I think that's a good point of what you brought up of don't just have all of your events on well it's, it's Memorial Day it's Veterans Day it's July 4th so we can do something about veterans like you can do it whenever you want it's like you don't have to only do a Frederick Douglass program in February during Black History Month you can do that throughout the year it's like yeah it, you don't have Absolutely. to just pigeonhole things in these things that make make it easier maybe for your program your your um, marketing or whatever but you can always market things <laughs> for I, sure and you also mentioned uh, in, in your book, you talked about relying on staff who are veterans when planning veteran programs. And I think that's an important point, too, because to, you can get that point of view and that'll help um, improve your programming. Absolutely. Um, and I'm, as I said, I'm always surprised everywhere I've worked, um, you know, I'm, I'm constantly learning that, you know, that that person up in library IT is is a veteran or um, you know, that person's in the National Guard and still, you know, still going to, to drill every, you know, one mm-hmm. week in a month. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be folks who, who have connections to the military. They're going to be folks who are, um, are or were military spouses um, who are you know, the child of a, of a service member or veteran. Uh, people have connections to the military, and often that is a driver for library programming is that somebody is personally interested um, but even if you have nobody in your library who has that personal connection um, or has that personal drive, um, there are going to be folks in the community who may be able to help provide that insight to make sure that you are hitting the right tone. Um, it, it can be deceptively easy to kind of 
make assumptions of um, of what who veterans are and and end up kind of hitting a tone that's that's awkward or um or uncomfortable for veterans so so making sure that you have that that lens can be can be really helpful to making sure that your program is successful and then i'm going to sk- go out of order of your book a little bit because I want to end with academic libraries since that's what you do. <laughs> um, so that, okay. the, the, the other section that you talk about is um, school and special libraries. Um, and in schools, obviously, you're mostly dealing with um, children of people in the service or perhaps teachers and administration who are um, perhaps veterans. But can you talk about um, how, what, what you need to keep in mind when working with the children of um, military service members or veterans? Absolutely. I think the you know the children, particularly of those who are currently serving, um, they 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 can have a rough time. Um, that my my own kids um, have been through you know they've been through deployments, they've been through long term trainings, um, and so the schools have been wonderful with them and very aware. Um, my my youngest they. Um, my husband was away for um, for an extended training, and they they carried around their little um, daddy dolls, their little like camouflage stuffed animals with like a place to insert um, like a picture of their dad's face, and they carried those <laughs> around. And um, they they made a chair for their you know the daddy doll next to her at school and everything. It was just <laughs> very cute. You know they very very aware of right. the fact that this is something that they're going through. So, you know, just like with everybody else, looking at those children as whole people who, whose school life is affected by what's going on at home, um, the libraries can play a role, too. You know, having, having readings that, that talk about what it's like to be uh, a military or a, a child of a service member. Um, you know, any, any time that uh, my husband or I get to go to school and talk about, um, you know, being being in the military with with the kids. You know, my kids are, you know, just just proud as can be, and you know, they feel special. They feel like they they are they are seen among their peers um, mm-hmm. in a in a different way. Um, that kind of thing can be can be important to kids um, to to validate what they're going through, to to see them as as whole beings. Um, so collections in school libraries can be important. The spaces can be important, right? Um, there may be opportunities to have programming in the library um, for, you know, if you have a number of families there that are deployed, right? Maybe it's a space that the spouses um, can come together and, and meet. Um, maybe there are, you know, resources that, that they can make available um, to the to the parent or to the teachers to help them understand how to how to help the the students. Um, so I think there's actually quite a bit that school libraries can can do and, and are doing um, to to make sure that those those children are feeling supported. And I would say even if you're not near a military installation, and even if you don't have kids that you know you would think that their parents are deployed, um, you know there there are National Guard children everywhere mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, whose whose parents deploy. You don't have to be near a military installation. Or you may have people who are the children of veterans and whose, you know, parent just got back from a deployment and separated from the military, and all of a sudden they're like a civilian child again, even though they're not. So they've lost that support structure of being a military child among other military children, and they're among civilian children while they're probably still processing what they went through. So it's something that that 
you don't have to be near a military installation or be at a military-affiliated school um, to, to necessarily need to be aware of. Right, and sometimes, I mean, there may be a spouse who's living near family somewhere while their um, spouse is deployed, and then so they're not anywhere near the base, but they're kind of near where their family is, and so you don't even realize there's de- there's children of deployed um, families just in schools everywhere. So, Absolutely. Yeah, they're all over. And it is, it's kind of a misconception that, that they would be clustered because many, many families do leave the kind of support of the, the military post and go seek family support during deployments. And, and so um, it's, it is something that, that touches weight uh, nationwide, even though people aren't necessarily aware of that. Um, and then you also talk about um, several other kinds of special libraries, like health sciences libraries, military libraries, law libraries, and especially prison libraries. Um, can you talk a little bit about how those um, affect or, or are affected by veterans and how they adapt, should adapt their services? Sure. So, you know, depending on your library type, the, the ways that libraries interact with veterans may be, may be different. Uh, military libraries... Um, you know, they're going to be working with, with service members, and they're going to be seeing um, many more of those folks who are, are currently in the service, more families with parent, with um, people who are immediately deployed. Um, but there may be a number of uh, other other families that are, are not seeking that military library experience. So connecting with those public libraries off post and, and making sure that everyone's aware of those resources that that are available to them is something that might be important. Um, you know, your law libraries, you may have people searching for information about um, uh, appealing for benefits or um, dealing with legal issues with the added wrinkle of their military service. Um, that, that, being, that having that military service or um, being a veteran may make them eligible for, for different um, different options that, that, that might be useful to help them research. Um, you know, in the, in the medical side of things, um, you know, veterans are, they, they suffer from um, disabilities or impairments at a higher rate than, than the civilian population in general. Uh, so uh, they may be looking, researching, um, you know, you may have Iraq or Afghanistan veterans researching burn pits or asking questions about about that kind of thing. So, so being aware aware of that military context is something that can be useful, regardless of the the type of library that, that someone is working in. So, um, into your realm of work in academic libraries, is there something um, particular that academic libraries, or maybe even specific examples that you do at your library, um, need to address when it comes to veteran populations, or if they were like in a military community as well, how they would work with um, military families? Absolutely. So, in an academic library context, which is my, my own kind of pet area, um, veterans are on virtually every campus. Uh, they're they're all over the place. Um, veterans are using the the GI Bill at a high rate. Also, military dependents, so those military families, they are using the GI Bill at high rates because now um, veterans can transfer those um, benefits to their their children. Um, service members are on all kinds of bases. If you have any kind of online programs, mm-hmm. um, you're likely to have veterans enrolled in them, um, especially campuses that that have those online programs or those um, kind of flexible programs. Um, those tend to be really, really popular with, with veterans. Uh, student veterans 
are, are very different than your your typical population and service members too. Um, they tend to be right non-traditional students. They're older. They um, many times have families. They have um, they're in the military. They have lots of work commitments. Um, they may be overseas deployed and have uh, limited access to to internet. Um, veterans may have long gaps in their educational experiences, um, and and they may have little little context for the types of resources that academic libraries have. Military libraries are much more, I mean, the military libraries run the gamut, so let me, let me first give that caveat. <laughs> but the kind of military libraries that um, many veterans and, and service members will think of are those little um, libraries on the military installation, which are much more like a small public library than they are like any kind of research library. Right. Um, so if you haven't been in a library you know, for 20 years, um, uh, you know, it's been 20 years since you used your high school library and you've just been using military libraries, um, like on a military installation, those little, um, we call them MWR, Morale, Welfare, and Recreation Libraries. Um, you know, you might not have any context for the type of research library that we have here at Texas A&M. Um, getting student veterans aware of the resources that we have available um, helping kind of raise that awareness that this is a different type of library, that this is not the same, this is not the same uh, context as what they're familiar with, and also getting them past that busy first floor where we have a Starbucks and we have, uh, you know, all the undergrads kind of milling around um, can be difficult, right? They don't necessarily see themselves there. Um, so that can, be, that can be a challenge, making sure that they, they know what they're, they have access to. On the plus side, uh, your veterans and service members, they're, they're busy and they are conditioned to go ask an expert. That's something that the military teaches you quite well. So giving them a particular point of contact and saying, I am your contact, right, and I am here to help and this is what I can do to help you. I think veterans might actually be more, more likely than, than your, you know, your traditional populations to actually take advantage of that, to reach out, to ask for help and uh, to, to, to make use of the kind of expert assistance. So libraries, I think, can, can make a big difference in, in, this, in the success of their, their student veterans. Um, but libraries are not necessarily what the campuses think of when they're thinking of support for student veterans. Right. So making sure that the libraries become a player on campus in, in veteran support initiatives is something that libraries have to actively advocate for. Um, but I, I, have, I have found that once they kind of got past the, what do you mean the libraries can help um, moment, once we get past that, then they've been really willing to, to work with me and to, to partner and, you know, that they see that there's a genuine offer of, of help and a, and a willing to, uh, to, to provide support and that there are resources in the library. You know, it might be a, a room that they can use for, for a, a co-sponsored event. Right, it might be, um, it might be books that you could put on a display, but if there's something that that the library can show, like I can do this for your veterans, and it'll be something that that you don't have to do, right, and that the libraries can kind of take off your plate, or or do as a as a supplement, that can go a long way to to building that relationship, so that. Um, the next time they have a, a student veteran who comes in with a question, they might think about the libraries and send them your way. Um, 
So, so I think there's there's actually a lot in the, in the academic realm, um, which is again my own personal context. So, uh, I have many things to say about that. So I'll, <laughs> I'll try not to talk you off too much. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just thinking that um, it's always important for libraries to have a good relationship with the administration of the college because I, I hear that a lot of. Um, outside of veterans, even just that in general of uh, the library wants to do what is <laughs> the response from a lot of administrations about a lot of issues. So um, it's always important to have a good relationship there so you can sell yourself to your admins. <laughs> um, so the last thing I want to um, kind of ask about is just something that you mentioned in the, in the conclusion that you're wrapping up that libraries are kind of uniquely positioned to help veterans. And how do you feel that libraries are kind of in this unique place to help veterans? So, Different organizations have different, they, they've kind of carved off different populations of the, the veteran community. Um, you know, to be eligible for, for GI Bill benefits, you have to no longer be serving, um, or for VA benefits more, more generally. You have to no longer be serving. You have to have, um, you, or you can't have a dishonorable discharge. Um, you know, different veteran service organizations are for different populations. So there's, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan veterans of America. There's Vietnam veterans of America. Um, there's um, uh, the uh, veterans of foreign wars. So they are, you know, they're working with individual subsets of, of these, this kind of larger population. The libraries, we serve the public. We don't, right, we're not assigning any kind of real tangible like financial benefits we are, we're there for, for everybody. And so we can cast a really broad net. We don't need to necessarily be drawing those hard lines between, oh, you're, you know, you, you're still serving, so you're not a veteran. Um, we don't necessarily need to be asking for discharge papers and figuring out what type of discharge someone had. We don't necessarily need to care if somebody served overseas or not, or if they got uh, you know, if they got injured, you know, six months into their contract and got separated before they really got a chance to even get to their permanent duty station. We don't need to care about those things. And I think that's a real advantage because we can, we can have an inclusive definition of who we're trying to serve in the veteran and military communities. And we can, we can bring everybody in, which means we can, we can catch the folks who have been missed by these other organizations. Uh, we can we can help the folks who have been marginalized or feeling excluded, um, and I, th I think that's a, a tremendous it's a tremendous benefit both for the libraries and for the the veteran and military communities to have a place that is for everybody, and that that veterans can come together with civilians, that veterans can come together with other members of the veteran community that they have not necessarily been in the same space with since since they got out of the military. Um, and and I, th I think that's needed, and I think that's valuable. Um, and, and, and we are, we have a positive history with patrons. I mean, that's, that's a really broad and general statement. Um, it's certainly not true for everybody, and there are definitely populations that have felt marginalized by libraries. But in a, in a general sense with the, with the veteran populations, I think, I think it's true that libraries are looked on as a friendly, space in comparison to a place like the VA, which has a lot of kind of fraught history with right. the veteran community. Yeah. Um, 
and that that we may have folks trickling into libraries who are asking for help because they they needed right they needed something from the VA and they got you know backlogged or turned away or something like that and so libraries can be that second chance too we can be that place where someone comes in for help again and that libraries can play a role in, in kind of rebuilding that bridge and connecting them to the resources that they do need um, because they did they did feel the libraries was a place to come try again so um, I think the libraries have, have a real are, I think we have a real role to play in, in supporting the veteran and military communities that um, that we should be taking advantage of absolutely um, so Thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on the show and talking about um, your book. And thank you also for writing the book. I think it is an important resource, um, along with Kristen, of course. I don't want to leave off her <laughs> good contribution, of course. Absolutely. Um, but, I mean, I think it is a needed resource in the community. Um, if people have follow-up questions, how could they get in touch with you to ask those follow-up questions? So uh, I'm at the Texas A&M University Libraries, and they can look me up right on their webpage there. So my email is is right there on the website. All right. Excellent. Um, thank you so much again for being on the show. And I encourage everybody to go get the book and find out more about serving this community. So thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a pleasure. All right. Bye-bye. Circulating Ideas is produced by Steve Thomas in the suburbs of Atlanta. Views expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of my place or work or the place of work of guests. For past interviews, visit circulatingideas.com and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or your podcast app of choice. And help others find the show by leaving a rating or a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at CircIdeas or like the show's Facebook page. Music is by Pamela Klicka. Thanks for listening and keep circulating your ideas. Thanks again to Mometrics Test Preparation for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. To get 10% off your first purchase and a free demo, visit goelibrary.com and use that promo code podcast. That's goelibrary.com, promo code podcast.